Well, now is a time in the show when we were able to hear from influential people in the city, get to learn more about who they are, what they do, and how they feel about the current state of the city of Toronto. Today, my guest is Michael Messenger, the President and CEO of World Vision Canada. Welcome, Michael. Thanks, Maggie. Great to be with you. Thanks for being with us. Well, many of us are familiar with uh, World Vision Canada. Uh, many of us have children through World Vision. I know our family does. But what would you say is one of the, maybe the biggest misconceptions people have about what you and your team do? Well, that's a great question. I think maybe one of the misconceptions is uh, people often worry about funds that go outside of their own neighborhoods or you know their own country and wonder, do the, do, do the funds act, actually get there? Do they actually make a difference and even in some of the world's toughest places? And the answer is yes. I have a chance to I'm really I'm privileged to be able to tell stories of impact from all over the world, tough places like Afghanistan and South Sudan or, you know, all over the world and come back and talk to them about Canadians. And we know that we know that people in Toronto were incredibly generous to local charities and international charities as well. And I guess we just want to be able to tell the story to say that you can have an impact on the other side of the world in the same way that you can have an impact in your own neighborhood. In fact, really in this interconnected world, it's just kind of like one big neighborhood. And if we can make a difference there and locally, we really are able to reach those who are most in need, most uh, on the margins. Yeah. You know, it's organizations like World Vision Canada, Compassion, I think of, and so many others um, that are there in countries long after the media has left. You know, I saw a post you uh, had posted recently about Syria and the earthquake and the impact that region um, had already been reeling and dealing with uh, from, you know, years of civil war and then the earthquake as well. Talk to me about the importance of staying behind for the long term. It is really, really critical, especially in some of these challenging places. You know, at World Vision, we talk a little bit about focusing on what we call fragile contexts. It's kind of a buzzword, but what it really means is some of these places in the world that aren't stable enough to do long-term development, but yet may not every moment be an emergency need. And how do you respond in different ways? You know, and how do we adjust? That's one of the things that we've been learning as an organization. Because, to your point, we don't just want to be an organization or a ministry of programs, even though we want to do the very best to provide projects and support teams and build partnerships and so on. Our work often requires us to be a ministry of presence. It's about walking with people through the thick and thin, even in challenging contexts, um, and, and just walking alongside. There's something really significant about real relationships, real partnerships. And so in places like Syria, beset by you know, 11 years now of civil war and add the, the earthquake on top of that or challenging contexts like Central African Republic, where I was a couple of years ago. These are just to name a few, Eastern DRC, uh, the current situation in Sudan. It's about being there, recognizing that sometimes we may make two steps forward together and then maybe one step back. But it really is, is we feel it's, it's, it's a requirement for us. It's a calling to be in these contexts, to stay with them, to walk alongside the amazing children, families, and communities and help them unlock the potential that we know they have and that they just might need a bit of a hand up uh, to you know, continue on. So that's, that's really key to who we are. You talk about unlocking the potential. And you know, one thing that I am always um, interested in, especially when it comes to international uh, relief efforts, as well as local, is the sustainability, right? And is about 
uh, putting power back into the hands of those that you're helping. Talk to me about what that looks like. How, how do you create um, a space where when eventually your team has to leave, uh, that there is a sense that you have left people empowered and not necessarily uh, depending on the help of a World Vision Canada or you know some other not not for profit. That unfortunately is what I've seen in Haiti in my times of traveling back and forth. Is that there are so many um, you know charities there that it has almost created this dependency on charities continuing to support. And really, what I think needs to happen is. Uh, empowering those on the ground that know you can make a difference. And I've seen a select few uh, organizations do that really, really well. Um, I think you guys are one of them as well. Um, But talk to me about the importance of empowering those on the ground, giving them the tools that they need, and then saying you can do it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, you have hit the nail on the head in terms of what we know is going to make the longest term difference. In fact, organizations like World Vision, we sometimes say that it's actually our job to get out of business. We we want to do all that we can so we're not needed anymore in the yeah. world. Yeah. Now, some of that might be that we, you know, we think of ourselves as the heroes of the story and we distribute all the aid that's needed and you know, therefore there's no need. Well, that's not the way the world works. And it also undermines the, the inherent dignity and worth of the communities that we serve. And so our goal is always to try to build sustainability in the programs that that we we do. Here's some a few ways that we do it. Now, and by the way, we've we've learned about this over the years. Really interesting conversations in our sector around, uh, you know, thinking through even within our organizations, you know, issues of power or racism or you know, decolonization. All these kinds of things are really key. But at the end of the day, you know, one of the things we go into when we start our work in a development uh, context, perhaps a new sponsorship community, going to a new area, we always have an end date for when we're going to leave. Now, it might be 10 years out, it could be 12 years, it could be a shorter term if it's a grant or something. But when you start with the end in mind and know that actually at the end of the day, the success is going to be when we no longer are needed or you're, you know, that the, the, the communities that we're working with, the children and families that we serve are going to be better off you know, along the way, then the way that you approach what's needed to build sustainability changes. So, you know, and we've learned this over the years at World Visions, even in our development work, when we start right now, we have a much more of a partnership collaboration approach, looking for what are the positive assets in the community already that we build on. So rather than thinking about the deficits in the community and fixing the problems, we start by saying, what are the real strengths? What are the organizations or local groups that are working well? What are the connections that they have? It could be faith groups that we can work through. How do we help? Uh, rather than, for example, just come in and build a school, and that might be a necessary thing in some contexts, but wouldn't it be better if we equipped the community to recognize that actually the government owes them a school, that's part of the rights in their community, how can we work with community leaders and community organizations and even children themselves to learn skills about advocacy, to be able to speak up on their own behalf so that they then go to the duty bearers, the government or others, to help ensure that a school is built. And so we play much more of a facilitation kind of role, a connecting kind of role. Sure, we've got expertise and things like water and education and so on that we can share with the community. But if we really ground it in the needs of the community, we see the community, the children and families as the heroes of the story. 
uh, you use the word empowerment. Mm -hmm. I don't even like that word empowerment so much because that assumes that they had no power to begin mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. It's really about unlocking the power that they already have, helping them to amplify their voices. And that's really the approach that we take. And uh, while we get that wrong sometimes, no question, and we're continuing to learn, and that's an important part of our, our message as well. Poverty is messy. Uh, you know, we, we don't move in a straight line all the time as we work together. But that's ultimately what's going to happen. We don't want to be giving a handout. We want to be giving a hand up. We want to build sustainability for the long term. And that's in a stable context, but even challengingly in these fragile places. We can always think about how do we ensure that even in an emergency relief context that children share their needs even in the way that we give give uh, you know immediate assistance sometimes we'll use cash vouchers rather than food so that people have the opportunity to make the choices for what's best for their families these are just a few of the ways that we kind of build in this idea of sustainability into our programs right from the start i always talk about dignity and how important that is when you're serving mm -hmm. others right is being able to make sure that you respect people and you leave them with a feeling of dignity. Um, I want to talk a little bit, Michael, about this city and the pivotal place that we find ourselves in. This week, the Economic and Community Development Committee for the city approved a motion to declare a homelessness emergency. Uh, according to the city's own data, roughly 10,800 people, almost 11,000 people in the city are homeless. Uh, this is just in the last three months. You travel all around the world. In a country like ours that has so much, should this be our reality? No, that is those numbers that you shared and the situation is so concerning. I, I've, I have lots of opportunities to speak to local organizations and, and I'm friends with a number of, of uh, heads of agencies. I was talking recently to Neil Hetherington, who's the head of the Daily Bread Food Bank. And he was he's talking about the fact that since before the pandemic, the number of people receiving uh, food from food banks in the greater Toronto area quadrupled. Uh, Angie Peters at the Young Street Mission, you know, is, to is in the center of some of these conversations and, you know, talking about the, the uh, significant need. I think the challenge is that economic, what we're learning through the pandemic, certainly, and, and overall economic crises, it has an effect no matter where you are in the world, uh, whether it's local people dealing with, you know, homelessness or, or making having challenge making ends meet here or you know the situation for children and families in afghanistan or sudan today there's a connection there we, i think we can all find ourselves a little bit in that story no matter where we are but i am pleased to hear that the the deck you know the, there was this declaration of an emergency because what i know from my context in advocacy work is sometimes it it well sometimes it may feel symbolic in a sense it actually immediately draws people's attention to the needs that are in front of us to help galvanize community activity, so we can all focus on the things that are right in in in, in the face, are you know in face of us. It's 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 certainly deeply saddening and challenging for me um, to hear that in our own city, uh, people are struggling, um, and so we have to think about having that local and global connection. I think in recognizing that um, you know that the needs are great everywhere. So we, we stand in solidarity with other agencies here to recognize that this is just one local expression of a global, a global issue uh, of an economic crisis. And we've seen in the polls that these are things that, you know, Torontonians, Canadians are concerned about when it comes to, you know, the cost of living, um, the struggles that come with that. 
I know that your work is, you know, more in the international sense, but you know, there's been so much talk, you know, from the TTC and and uh, you know the violence there to violence on our streets. A lot of it has been kind of blamed on the homeless population. I don't know if that's right, you know, rightfully something that that group should own or feel uh, that they are, you know, a key part of that. I think this is, again, a, a part of many different factors from the pandemic to, you know, the list can go on. Um, but what do you think we need to be looking at? As, as you talk to Neil and Angie, both people who have been on this show, what are some mm-hmm. real, really key uh is, or key results or key things that we have to look at in order to gain results. I mean, some people will say it's more police on the street. More, some people will say it's more social workers. What do you think as you speak to others? What, what does that solution look like? Well, whether we're thinking about fighting poverty and injustice internationally and around the world, and I will say my expertise in our or- organization is focused internationally and not all lo- on local things, there, there are definitely commonalities. And that is, if anyone thinks that there's a single silver bullet, so to speak, to solve the problem of homelessness or poverty in our city, I think they're, they just don't understand the, the complexity of things. And so that's part of it is to recognize that there is, we have to take a holistic understanding of both what are the symptoms of the issues today. And, you know, Angie and Neil and others certainly understand that uh, to, be, to be able to explain that. And they're kind of on the front end of people who have to receive services. But it's also really important, whether it's our work internationally or here in Toronto, is to say, what are the causes? What are the drivers that are causing people to, to you know, be unhomed or lack, lack the resources that they have and really think about that? Now, I was struck recently uh, by, by some stories from, from Angie, actually, at Young Street Mission, who said that, you know, when you step back and look at some of the systems that are even meant to help people, the process and challenges and you know competing agencies and you know silos and competition between groups actually may undermine our ability to 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 reach their needs we've seen that in the international sector and you mentioned it in haiti a few minutes ago uh, or other places we've learned as an as an aid, international aid agency organization in our sector that we have to be better aligned we have to recognize that we certainly don't want to do any harm we don't want to make the situation worse but we also recognize that sometimes our best intentions may actually undermine the real solutions. That happens when we don't involve the people who are affected themselves in helping to make the solutions in the first place. When we kind of look at the situation locally or globally from a deficit approach, where we just want to fix problems rather than say, what are the strengths and areas that people are already working and doing well that we can build on that then really tackle those underlying issues of that are causing poverty in the first place. So, that overall approach is the same whether you're tackling international issues and local issues and it's really important for us to be able to share even within our sector uh, what are you know good principles of community development but unfortunately that's that's still one of those areas that we we have to consider but even as we you know, i know that toronto's in the mayor mayoral race mm-hmm. and uh, just i would just <laughs> caution your listeners to say look out watch out for people who think they have a single solution to a big complex problem mm. we have to think holistically we have to work together to really solve the issues on that note of complexity we're watching the civil unrest in sudan uh canada has sent two evacuation flights um and you know right now the the plane is that's supposed to take some more people, uh, evacuate some more people, um, has faced some mechanical issues. They've been shot at as well. Uh, 
how is World Vision Canada helping in this situation? And I guess my other question to you, Michael, is should we be helping others beyond Canadians uh, escape this situation? You know, there's even the question that I, I alluded to off the top of our show uh, where the Canadian government actually doesn't have to evacuate Canadians from you know places of civil unrest. We've seen historically that that has happened, um, especially on you know accounts like this. Um, but should we be doing more in situations like this? Well, you know, this is an example in Sudan of of one of the major factors of contributing to poverty and you know long term in the world, and that's conflict. And we're seeing we've seen a rise of conflict. We're deeply deeply upset by by the you know the breakdown of of stability in sudan an area that had some potential a while ago uh, and now we see that increase you know it's what it's meant is that world vision we've been reaching a million and a half people every every year in sudan we're one of the largest agencies there for the time being while the conflict is there we've had to actually stop our operations because it's not safe to operate so people that were already at need aren't being served and, and not add to that we've got people who are now you know newly affected by the conflict uh, we know that there are people on the move we i mean we've talked about canadians getting in one plane but you know separate from that we have there are a hundred thousand refugees expected to arrive in the neighboring country of chad yeah um adding to the almost you know five hundred thousand people already on the border uh so we've got we have, there are hundreds of thousands of people on the move and so we do need to think about you know obviously i think as canadians we're concerned about our you know, our fellow citizens who are in need and the government can make its decision around that. The, 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 the question is, of course, is how do we respond to the bigger issue of those who are really most affected? And that's going to be the people who are left behind in Sudan. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to have to consider in, in, uh, with World Vision to say, how can we resume our programming? What is that going to look like? How do we, we pivot uh, when it's safe to do so? And then, of course, now there's an emerging refugee uh, crisis on the borders. Uh, we've responded in places like Ukraine and Syria and, you know, Uganda. So it's, we're going to have to step up to do that. World Vision is certainly readying, readying our response to be able to, to respond there. But uh, I think for all of us, we just come back to Canadians and say, look, we have reached out to those in need around the world in moments just like this. Let's not just think about people who look like us or have carry our same passport, but think about the needs of the children and families who are in the middle of this or are on the move right now and doing what we can to support them in this time of need. Well said. And I think especially with Sudan being a country that has faced so much unrest over the years, um, it's definitely uh, a point of concern. Thank you so much, Michael, for your time today. It's been my pleasure to be with you, Maggie. You know, World Vision's been from its very start when we started in the, in the 1950s here in Canada. We, our office was in Toronto or in Mississauga, so we're deeply connected yeah. to the Toronto community. But Glad to make connections between people in Toronto and Canada around the world and really glad to be able to talk about that today.